Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, February 10th. My name is Jerry Roberts, and I'm your host. Challenging the rhetoric. Welcome to the show. I have a big show for you tonight with two guests who have a lot to say on some really important issues that are going on in the world right now. But speaking of going on in the world right now, uh, the Oregon standoff, literally 20 minutes or so before I went live, um, David Fry was live on Gavin Seam's podcast on YouTube on a live stream. The feds are in the refuge. They are communicating you can hear audio live. You don't see anything, thank God. Um, and uh, you can hear uh, the feds talking to the final four there at Malheur Refuge outside of Burns, Oregon. Um, and they sound reasonable. They're trying to talk them down and negotiate with them and try to be patient. Uh, they are getting um, very rapid uh, up until the point that I could no longer listen. I do have people giving me information along the way, by the way, so I'll fill you in as I can. Um, however, uh, David is freaking out. Um, Sandy and Sean are yelling in the background. Um, you know, I don't know what's happening, but i got to tell you, it's February 10th. And for the first time since I've been doing my show, like I have a rock in my gut. It hurts. I don't know what's going to happen with these people. And ironically, weirdly, I'm on the side of the feds this time, guys. Um, They've given them more than enough time. They've been reasonable. And we'll talk about some stuff that a lot of people think are unreasonable here soon. But um, if something happens to these four people tonight... I hate to say this, but there's plenty of their own documentation out there on David Fry's own Defender-based YouTube uh, that it's going to be caused by their own selves. And really what it boils down to is nothing's going to change even if they were set free like they want, uh, except that they're going to do this again. Um, So their cause for a long time really has been not to go to jail, to go to prison. And uh, I don't see why somebody would want to die for that. Um, I'm going to try to keep you filled in tonight, but I do want to get on with the show. Uh, But I I want to say, one of the things we've heard from David Fry over and over and over again is he's got a big beef with Hillary Clinton, as do a lot of people in this country. And uh, since last summer, we've been hearing about her, her emails and private servers and the ethics and potential legal violations surrounding them, and things have been heating up again. So speaking of ethics, since the beginning of this very year, like I said, my state has been under this, you know, standoff thing. And we're going to be talking about that. So David Fry cares about Hillary, so maybe he needs to surrender and, and, and hear what National Security Attorney Mark Zadosh has to say, because he's going to be one of the guests tonight. And um, we'll talk about that. 
So, like I said, we're going to be talking about some stuff that happened at the refuge. There's been 11 arrests. There's 16 indictments, including uh, for the four there at the refuge. Um, there's a lot of American citizens that, that agree, and there's a lot of American citizens that disagree. The real truth is, when you're not looking through that pinhole view, is that very few agree with what's actually been going on at the Malheur Refuge. Um, the people that are there, though, because they are looking through that pinhole view, they think that, you know, most of the, the, the world, if, you know, if not just the country, are on their side on this. And while everybody has very valid beefs with the United States government, they also have very valid beefs with what has taken place in Oregon. Um, so my second guest is going to be here with me, and we're going to talk about that. He's the executive director for the Center of Biological Diversity. He's been at the refuge. He faced off with Pete Santilli. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Because Pete Santilli's involvement in this, his particular case, uh, is probably the most important out of all of the legal cases that are going to come out of this, and I'll tell you uh, why on that later. It's all kind of a, a cluster duck. It's PG-13, so uh, I'm not going to go on. <laughs> I'm not going to say what I want to say. But before I get going on everything, before I start bringing on guests, i got to you know, do a little housekeeping here and tell you all the things that help the show grow and allow you to participate with me here tonight and even throughout the archives if that's how you're listening. During each live show, you can interact with me on the Facebook page at Facebook facebook.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news and or on twitter where i am tweeting from at ctr news feed and we are for this show tonight i'm using hashtag ctr hashtag oregon standoff and hashtag hillary 2016 no i'm not endorsing hillary at all i do not like hillary clinton um but the hashtag is going to get the information in the right stream feed that that we want it to so please use that if you're tweeting about tonight's show I do love knowing that you're listening. Whether you agree with me or not, I, I love to know that you're listening because then that means that somehow we are having an exchange together. And in order to ever move forward on anything, we do need to have an exchange. So if, if I don't know you're listening, let me know. You can join us in the chat room. That's at blog talk radio forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. And that's C-H-E-R-I Roberts. And if you click on tonight's show, which is show number 16 for this feed, you can uh, find the chat room right beneath that little slideshow thing there. If you're listening to an archive, obviously you're not going to be able to chat with anybody uh, or call in. If you'd like to call in tonight, the number to call is area code 646-787-1790. Just remember, again, if you're listening to an archive, you can't call in and... Uh, you know, and engage with me. Uh, if you do call in or you participate in the chat room, you, I, I, here's here's the rules. Here's the rules of engagement. You need to be respectful, not just to me, uh, but to my guests, to any other callers, to each other there in the chat room, and to each other on my social media pages. I am more than happy and willing to hear your view uh, and even give you a voice. Uh, but if you're not willing to answer my questions and you're not willing to, you know, put faces to names and you're not wi willing to be a, a real person in the society and engage with me in real dialogue, then whether it's in the chat or on the phone or on social media, I'm just going to dump you out of there because I've been in this game for a long time. I've been on the streets in D.C. and in New York fighting the fight, walking my walk against the government and all the other wrongful things and corporate media and so on and so forth. So I've earned my stripes to say the things that I said. Um, 
So I want to start moseying on over to uh, what's what we're going to talk about here with one of my guests tonight, and uh, that's National Security Attorney Mark Sage. He's been on the show several times. Uh, he's a, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of the show. He's been super supportive supportive of me. We've talked about Hillary's emails in the past, uh, more towards when it was you know initially like became a hot a hot topic. We've talked with him about constitutional law with regards to the Oregon standoff just a, about a month ago. Um, and we will probably be asking him some questions on that tonight because of what's going on. But we have also, um, you know, talked to him on some other things. And he's always a really, really, really uh, great resource. Um, and I, I'm just grateful that he comes on my show, you know, my little old show here, Challenging the Rhetoric. He, he, he's a great person. So here's what's going on with Hillary right now. The email thing kind of started back in, I want to say, July, the last, uh, last summer, right around there. And now, you know, she's vying for the Democratic presidential nomination, and the inquiry into her, her professional private email server, you know, her habitry with her email, is heating back up again, or at least the media and the GOP wants us to believe that. I don't know if that's true. We're going to talk to Mark about that. But how bad is it really? Is it, is it smoke and mirrors with, with media and how they want to frame and pose things? Um, or, you know, or what? Um, is, can this really affect her potential campaign? Uh, and did she really do anything that is actionable against her? Because that, you know, it's, I had a boss. I had a boss. I'm going to go on a sidebar. I had a boss who used to say that if you can't do anything about uh, what you're griping about, then it's just a, a recreational bitch. Um, and so is it a recreational bitch? If you can't do anything about it, I don't know, but I think if that's all you're doing is spending your time, spinning your wheels and about something that you can't change and something that's not going to go into your favor, then it's kind of time to move on if the laws are not on your side with it, which is the case with Oregon standoff, but it's also the case with Hillary Clinton's emails because, you know, is it a security, I mean, are they are they doing a, um, a security check? Are they, or are they do, actually doing, doing a... Um, a real investigation. Mark Zaid is going to be able to answer that a little bit clearer to the best of his knowledge. And I don't know anybody else that has the kind of clearances and access that he, he does that could answer it more <laughs> incredibly for sure. Um, so just recently FBI says um, that they're – let me give you a kind of a what, what, what's happened – the Republicans are suggesting that she's going to be indicted, okay, for her use of private email server. And the State Department now says that this server had contained at least 22 messages that were deemed top secret and about 1,600 classified but at lower levels documents. Um, okay, so is that correct? Okay, just, according to NBC, a Justice Department official confirmed an inquiry that said it was a security review, like I just said, um, because it, they're looking at it as a potential breach of classified information, not a criminal investigation that's targeting Clinton, like a lot of people are perpetuating, particularly on social media, which is way more prolific than what a lot of people call mainstream or corporate media. Social media has surpassed all of that. The, the, the likes, shares, and, and, and all of that is, is so far gone. Um, so, you know, I mean... 
what is real and what is not, smoke and mirrors again. We are going to kind of figure that out with Mark. The other thing that's kind of in tandem with this and kind of twisting this dynamic is that just recently it came out, I'm sorry, it was NBC News that came out with this about Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice from George W. Bush years, um, that they had some emails that are they weren't classified then, allegedly, but they're classified to a certain extent now, um, or so they say. Mark can maybe answer better on that. And so if something wasn't classified then, but is classified now, why would they be in trouble? That doesn't make any sense. Colin Powell himself, and I'm sticking up for the Bush administration. How asinine is that, right? And I, and I don't mean it that way, but Colin Powell himself is like, let everybody see it because there's really nothing to see here. Maybe Mark has seen it. Maybe he knows if there's something to see. I don't know. I don't know if you can even tell us. But in a letter to Undersecretary of State Patrick Kennedy that was dated February 3rd, State Department Inspector General Steve Linick had said that the State Department determined that 12 emails that had been examined from the state's archives contained national security information that's now classified secret or confidential. Okay, so uh, again, then and now, where do we go with that? So is Hillary in, under a security review or an official investigation? Why are we hearing suddenly about Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice? Uh, the FBI director, James Comey, he pledged that this review was going to be free of political influence, but is it? Is it, and can it be? How can it be? Particularly in an election year with somebody who's running for president of the United States. So on that note, this is a really good time to segue into the grill portion of the show and to get some of these questions answered by someone who I trust. Uh, I, I, I do trust Mark uh, to be in the know and a lot of other people involved uh, in, in this case and the situation with Hillary Clinton and her emails, they also trust him. Um, he's been with us a lot of times before, so please welcome back D.C. National Security Attorney Mark Zaid. Mark, are you with me? Hi, Sherry. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. I'm stressing out because this whole thing is actually happening right now in Oregon. I knew it was going to happen once I went live on my show one of these weeks. And uh, I want to, like, chomp your, your ear over that issue, but I do want to talk about Hillary's emails because that's why you're here. So, um, you know, never mind my nervousness. It's a little unusual for me. <laughs> no problem. So can you explain to the listeners, because as you know, I have a lot of listeners. A lot of people um, try to say that I'm a liberal. A lot of people want to paint me a Democrat. Um, I consider myself an independent. I am not a political party type person, not asking for your affiliation. I just want to set that up for the listener to make some sense, because I have a lot of people that follow me that are very interested in what's going on in Oregon and almost as equally very interested in Hillary Clinton and her emails, they despise her, uh, even though many of them are Democrats. And equally, we have a GOP that's using this uh, and the Benghazi thing, as they have for so long now, um, to lambaste her. Is there anything really to it, Mark? All right. So, yet. <laughs> so uh, let me introduce from my perspective as well. My perspective is is a legal one. There is a policy issue angle to it as well. Uh, I do not care about partisan politics. I represent every side, each side, both sides, multiple sides, uh, Republican, Democrat, whatsoever. Uh, I have several of the lawsuits against the State Department under the Freedom of Information Act that uh, are 
seeking these documents in particular. I'll, I'll say as a caveat, I'm, I'm also, because it's been in the New York Times, uh, providing advice to the RNC, Republican National Committee, about how to access documents. I don't give strategy. Uh, I would do the same thing for the DNC if they wanted it as well. Uh, I say where where the law is, and I find this controversy very frustrating on multiple levels. One, the partisans on both sides have seized it improperly and have been propagating propaganda that is just simply false on both the right and the left. Uh, we've seen numerous uh, advocating pieces that, oh, Hillary is going to be indicted. I've heard about it from unknown sources in the FBI. I doubt that's true. And we've heard on the left saying, oh, she didn't do anything wrong. This is common practice. You shouldn't be concerned about it. And that's absolutely wrong. So let's talk about the middle. There are two distinct issues here that are continuously conflated together. One is the existence of the private email server in the first place to conduct what was supposed to be unclassified business. And then the second is the extent to which any communications on this unclassified server actually were classified. And I've been incredibly disappointed to see former Secretary Clinton and her senior staff and campaign aides uh, turn this into a political issue on their side, although I can understand it, and just simply respond to questions inaccurately with respect to their answers. There actually are a good number of reasonable explanations to indicate what has happened and what is being under investigation, and, and she's doing a lousy job at responding, which for someone who I view as an incredibly intelligent, sophisticated, and experienced woman, as well as with her staff, I don't understand. I really don't. So we can – let's start as far as first with the server. Uh, completely inappropriate, complete and outside of the Federal Records Act, ethics regulations, not necessarily directly prohibited by State Department protocol because as is anything at a given time when technology changes – the rules have to catch up. And quite frankly, nobody envisioned that someone at the senior level of the Secretary of State would actually forego having a state.gov official email address and instead try and create a private server. So this was the first. Now, right. do senior officials in the government in both parties, in fact, not even senior officials, federal employees, do they at times utilize private their government email for private business? Yes, personal business. And do they conversely use their personal emails for government business? Yes, happens all the time, constantly. But there's a protocol in place as to what you do to ensure that the official business you conduct is then maintained in an official system. Maybe you CC your government email address or you forward the email to your government email address. No one, notwithstanding claims that former Secretary Powell or Rice uh, or current Secretary Kerry has used personal email for business, nobody ever set up their own system and forego in its entirety the government-wide 
unclassified system, which is what the Clinton uh, industry did. And she acknowledged that was a bad mistake. And you know what? That's okay, great. But, perfect. Yeah. Okay, let me let me let me let me pause you for a minute because that makes me want to ask a couple questions. First, let me say I do agree with you about what you said that Hillary Clinton is incredibly uh, intelligent and very sophisticated, uh, very savvy. Uh, I, I would not disagree with that. Um, I don't want her as my president, <laughs> but I don't want any of them as my president right now. Um, but the thing is, is that you, you're talking about those ethics and you're talking about the laws and, and this being wrong. But I think that the the public, particularly those that are haters, and I wouldn't consider myself a hater. I can I can give her kudos, you know, where where they where they're due. But um but there you know, there are haters. There are these these horrendous people and, and, and that 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 is growing and not just for Hillary but for lots of people. And they their thing is is well it's hackable. If they're classified if it's classified information in any sense of classified and she's using private servers, how is she to um I mean their their thing would be how is she if she if it's not under the US Gov doing it how is she assuring that they're, that they're not being hacked? Look at all the stuff Anonymous and, 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 and WikiLeaks have put out over the years and years now. That, I think, is what is one of the main concerns. Okay, so and this is where I was talking about separating the issues, because even if Secretary Clinton had maintained a state.gov official email account, she still could not have utilized that unclassified account for conducting classified business. So one can argue, articulate, or discuss or debate whether or not the private server was less secure than the government server. Now, I'm I'm a lawyer. I'm not a technical guy. I look at OPM being hacked, uh, the Defense Department being hacked. It was reported in the last 48 hours that the FBI was hacked in 20,000 pieces of information relating to its personnel have been exposed on the dark side of the web. I don't know if any unclassified system is secure, but that's a separate argument. So let's talk about classification. What has been so disconcerting and frustrating from the Clinton side of things is the continuous response that at no time did she or her staff, aides, whatever you want to call them, send or receive a an email or document that was marked classified. Now, that is a red herring argument because, of course, they did not do that. No one has ever accused them of doing that. I would never expect any of them to have done that. For one thing, the unclassified system and the classified systems, even with respect to government, are not connected, and there's only a small number of people who can move a document from what we call the high side, classified side, to the low side on the same computer. It's very difficult to do. You need special permission to do it. Certainly, in her private server versus her government classified press, they were not commingling the information. The accusation is that they were having discussions on a variety of topics, most of which we don't know which makes it very difficult to reach a conclusion of liability, that in now reviewing the information, I look at it, or whoever's looking at it, and says, this is classified. So it's like taking the example I always use, 
the sentence, and you have a highly classified document, and it says, the brown cow jumped over the moon. If you take that sentence, because you memorized it, it's very simple, and you typed it onto your unclassified email server, and you emailed it to a colleague, it's still classified, even though it's not a marked document. And they should know better as to what is and is not classified. Now, that said, they have been absolutely accurate in saying there is an abundance of overclassification, probably 50% or more. Uh, it is a rampant problem within the government. The State Department is not as bad as other agencies because they don't deal with classified information as much. But the big problem she's having with these emails is it's not State Department information predominantly. It's other agencies' equities, particularly from the intelligence community. And while the Secretary of State has the authority as a declassification of expert, or authority, I should say, is a better word probably, uh, that she can say, hey, that's declassified if it's mine, if it's my state to do that for CIA, NSA, DOD information. And that's who's coming into this picture to say that email is classified. It's not being retroactively classified. That's a misnomer that's being distorted. It is information that apparently the, either the recipients and the senders didn't view for whatever reason, as classified, but a classification authority, when they're looking at it, is saying, no, that information is classified, and it should have been classified or was classified at the time it was sent. Now, that doesn't mean information is sometimes sent unclassified and later can become classified. That happens, too. It does not typically happen at the senior level of the cabinet member and their chief staff. It happens more at the lower analytical level when someone is receiving raw intelligence and creating a document that then as it goes through the system and the hierarchy is then classified. But it might not have started out that way. But that's unlikely with hers. The problem is we don't know, the public, we don't know exactly what it is they're discussing in these emails that's now being considered classified. And we're getting all sorts of leaks from a partisan angle. You've got a Republican congressman from the House Select Committee, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence saying, I read the emails, and there's sources and methods and agents' names. And then you've got a Democratic member of the same committee saying, I read the emails, and I don't see any such thing. So, you know, who do you believe with that? But I'll give you an example of why we can't reach a decision yet which is separate and apart from the notion of this is bad. I mean, if this had been my client at a what we call GS-14, it's a senior official level, but not a, you know, not a high, high level, but it's a fairly senior level. If this had happened to them, you know, they probably would have lost their security clearance and been fired. So this is not an inconsequential, insignificant mess up or, or issue. There's a significance to this. But let's, let's give an example, because some of the emails, you mentioned this, might have been SAP, Special Access Programs, incredibly right. sensitive, the, some of the highest levels of sensitivity that we have in the U.S. government classification system. What could be a SAP? Okay. One of the issues that plagued the State Department and still does is the issue from a political standpoint, a foreign relations standpoint, is the issue of the use of drones, unmanned uh, attack drones, that we are utilizing in 
countries like Yemen, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. Now, we all know that we use drones. The President of the United States has acknowledged we are using unmanned armed drones, terrorists, and sometimes there's collateral damage. That's a controversial point, obviously. What the U.S. government has not officially acknowledged is who is operating the drones. Now, anyone who has any level of intelligence or at least reads the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or watches Fox News or MSNBC knows that some of the people who are are steering these drones work for the Central Intelligence Agency. And but for the government that is a SAP protected classified fact. So if Hillary Clinton's senior staff, and quite frankly they are far more vulnerable right now based on what we know publicly than than she is if they wrote to her and they said, you know, Secretary Clinton, here here's the latest on the drone strike that happened in Pakistan yesterday, and here's a New York Times article on it. That's fine. That's not classified. But if they wrote the same sentence, but they said, here's here's I'm going to change the the, the language a little bit just because I don't remember what I just said, but the same you know figure out the same language. Here's the New York Times article on yesterday's CIA drone strike in Pakistan. And they put in the word CIA. Now that email is classified and in a sap. Now, if that's what we're talking about, anyone who knows how the system works should be just shaking their head going, oh, there's not going to be any indictment. And, okay, this is a security violation, but, you know, you've got to give me a break here. This is pathetic. Now, if we're talking about something far, far more severe than that and serious, which is entirely possible because we don't know what we don't know yet, then that's something entirely different. But but that's where we're at at the moment. Do you think, and, I, and, and if you're not comfortable answering or you can't answer, I do understand, uh, do you think that anything's really going to come out of this? Do you think she's still going to continue to be able to run for president, and do you think anything's going to come out of this, any charges on Hillary? I don't know. Too many unanswered questions that presumably the FBI is in the midst of seeking answers to. We know that former Secretary Powell has indicated that he has now been interviewed. I presume the same for former Secretary Rice. And that also means Huma Abedin has to be interviewed. And Cheryl Mills, who was the Secretary's Chief of Staff, has to be interviewed. There, there's a number of people who still have to be interviewed, including the former secretary, Hillary Clinton. We need to know the context of the contents of the emails and who's saying they were classified and why and what exactly was said. Now, you have there's multiple components of your question. There's the legal component, which is unanswered. There's the political component, and that political component may be answered completely differently than what the final legal answer might be. Because so long as this is out there, unresolved, it's going to clearly plague her from a political standpoint. And in fact, a few days ago, there was an article in the Washington Post concerning a town hall she gave in New Hampshire running up to the primary of yesterday. 
And a young woman who worked on her campaign in 2008 said, uh, I, I asked her about an issue of her trust, that she had some doubts about her trust, and it related to Benghazi and it related to the emails. And the article referenced what her, Hillary Clinton's response was. And it was factually and legally wrong and dismissive. Now, that's a political problem. That's not a legal problem. You know, people say, oh, she lied, she should be prosecuted. As far as we know, she hasn't lied to any U.S. government official. If you want to think she lied to you as a member of the public, then that's how you should determine how you vote. But legally, you know, giving a speech somewhere and it gets aired is not a, it's not a violation of Title 18 U.S. Code. Uh, but, you know, so there's, there's still a lot more to come. And, you know, for her sake, she better hope this gets resolved as far in advance of November as possible, or maybe even before that, depending on how the Sanders campaign uh, grows in strength. But there is a vulnerability. The best I could say is right now there is a continuing vulnerability, more so for her senior staff, because they're the ones who emailed the information rather than her just receiving it. And that's also separate and apart from any administrative remedies or penalties that agencies might want to impose on her and her staff, meaning CIA may decide, I don't want to give Cheryl Mills access to any of my classified information anymore because I don't trust her, and that would be within their right and equities to do. And that has yet to be seen. In fact, uh, Sid Blumenthal, who's a you know primary advisor behind the scenes to Hillary Clinton, was not allowed to work in the Department of State as a government official because the State Department said he was too politically antagonistic or dangerous or atomic, uh, and and she had to keep him off to the side. Uh, so government agencies may do that to some of her senior staff. Obviously, if she wins the presidency, it's a moot point for her because she can do whatever she wants as, as the commander-in-chief, but that's not the same with respect to her staff. Right. Mark, um, I, I need to switch gears. I would love it. No harm, no foul if you can't. If, if you can, then uh, I'll see your number still here uh, in my queue. I would love it if you can hang around a little bit because of the, you know, the feds have now invaded the refuge here in Oregon right now while we're talking, and I'd like to kind of get your take on that. I'd also like to know, have you ever had any involvement with J.J. McNabb of Forbes? She is uh, pretty much with the expert on extremism in this country. Not to my knowledge, I have not. Okay, I'm going to hook the two of you up together. Um, if you can hang out with us, I would love it. If not, thank you so much for being on. But I do need to move over to Liar of the Week, and then I need to go to the next guest, and we're going to be talking about what's happening right now at the Oregon Refuge and what has happened. But obviously, stuff's happening now. There are four people who may or may not die tonight uh, by their own choice. So, Mark, I hope you can stick around. If not, thanks again, buddy. I really appreciate you. It's time for Liar of the Week. It's my pleasure. I'll try and hang around. Okay, so when I planned tonight's show, I had no idea what was going to be happening right now tonight. And um, I have to say that I still feel very vehemently about what I'm about to say. So the liar of the week is the collective patriots. And I'm talking about the ones that are being vocal, particularly, primarily out there in social media, including things like the Walkie Zello, Twitter, Facebook, 
uh, YouTube and all of that. If you identify yourself as a patriot uh, or and or a militia person, there's a lot going on right now. There are four lives on the line, and those four people, part of that angst, and part of that crazy that's happening right now, it lays on your hands, not Sheriff Ward's hands, like they're trying to say, like David and Sandy and Sean are yelling in the background right now to the feds that have now, you know, uh, come to the refuge. This is on your hands because you guys have fueled a flame. These people have been relatively isolated, and you have made them promises. You've asked them to stay, and including the godfather of this movement, Cliven Bundy. Okay, so all of those people right now, those people that are identifying and, and, and encouraging these people to stay and let their lives be taken and challenging not just the feds but the state and now blaming the sheriff that you were once heralding as a hero, okay, the sheriff, he's the main guy, the county sheriff, the, the, the town sheriff, that's your main guy, and now the people out there are screaming for his head. All right, so here's why the patriots are the liar of the week. I want you to please show us the autopsy report that says that Lavoie Finicum was shot nine times because that, that autopsy report is not yet available all right, so I'd like you to show me that because you're passing it around everywhere. I'd like to hear and see visually with my own eyes that documentation that he was in fact shot nine times. I would also like you to please explain how the Finnegan family held an open casket viewing before the main funeral if Finnegan's face and or head had been blown off from one or all or some of these nine bullets. And for those who say it was his head or his face was reconstructed and recreated with some sort of plastic and wax and all that, like the wax museum. Okay, cool. Then please provide us with the company and the artist's name that did that work. Please also show us photographs of the white, not the silver that you keep passing around, the white SUV that belonged to Lavoie Finicum and that you keep saying was riddled with over 100 bullet holes. Please show us those pictures because they're not released yet then please stop after all of that because you can't provide any of that to me as of right this moment, but you can pass it around virally on social media with your hate and your disinfo. Please stop inciting these four people that may lose their life any minute tonight or tomorrow if the feds back off and give them breathing room after they're scared that are out there at the Malheur Refuge, and I'm going to say their names, David Fry, Sean Anderson, his wife, Sandy Anderson, and Jeff Banta. There are a lot of people, I doubt you're listening, but there are a lot of people that are praying for you. Uh, there are a lot of people that could care less about what you're doing, but they care about your life, all right? So these patriots that have been inciting you and egging you on without telling these people, these people that are risking your life for your lives and your disinfo, you're not telling them the truth. You're inciting their death. Everybody's saying that the feds want to kill them. If the feds wanted to kill them, they would have killed them a long time ago. They would have killed them before any of the rest happened. They would have killed them before Lavoie Finnegan lost his life. And if it was just those final four that they were just gunning after, they would have killed them two weeks ago. They have done everything not to kill them. It is the final four that will not lay down their arms and say, okay, I'm going to be an adult and accept the punishment for my very real crimes. 
instead of throwing a tantrum and demanding to be released, crime-free. If they die tonight, and it's so sad, my heart hurts, I want to puke. Okay? But if they die tonight, they've caused this. They just, as of minutes ago, according to the notes that I'm still receiving, from very credible sources, they are still saying that they are not going to lay down their weapons, that if anybody actually tries to arrest them, then it's on. Okay, so you've taken that on your shoulders. The only thing that patriot people are proving is the ugly, and they're not proving anything beyond that. Right now, patriots, as you call yourselves, your egos are all that seem to be driving you, and any cause that you began with, it's either so lost in your head, and if not, maybe you still got a grasp of it somewhere in your head, but you have lost it in your message, particularly to those four people that are gonna get that are willing to die for this disinfo and lies and stuff that you've incited. Shame on you, Patriots. You're, you are collectively the liar of the week. And on that note, I am going to jump over to our second guest. And our second guest was there at the Malheur Refuge. And uh, uh, Mark, just by the way, Mark Sade is still with us. So uh, I'm going to bring on this, this next guest. And, uh, and then I do have a question directly for Mark right now, this very pivotal moment, and then we'll get into it. But this next guest is very important. Not only was he at the Malheur Refuge, but he is the executive director and the founder of the Center for Biological Diversity. Okay? These are the people that care about people, habitats, uh, you know, the animals, the plants, all of it. These are the people that know that our world, it takes all kinds, even the kinds that are at the refuge, okay, the human kinds at the refuge, it takes all kinds to make this world work. This man faced off with Pete Santilli at least once that I know of. Um, his name is Kieran Suckling, and again, he's the executive director of the Center for Biological Diversity. And he is the one that is highlighted in one of Pete Santilli's videos, and the title of that video is Pete Santilli Blows FBI Agents Cover at Refuge. Okay. Now, let me tell you something. Not only has that been disproven and debunked, apparently Pete Santilli's listeners don't care because it's never been changed. So Pete or Deb don't care because they've never changed that title. It's not, it was no fed there. Um, Kieran Suckling, I, I hope you're with me right now. I want to get into this. How, how are you doing tonight? I am. Good, good. I'm here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on, and I'm sorry for the delay, but there's so much going on right now, as you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So real quickly, can you give us a, a setup for what happened? I mean, I, I've posted the video. Um, people can find that video link. I'll post it again, where Pete Santilli is calling out uh, somebody with you or somebody near you yeah. or a colleague of yours and, and calling him an FBI agent when you're standing protesting against the people that are holding out at the refuge, and, and they're all armed, okay? So you are standing there around a whole bunch of armed people when Pete Santilli, in Pete Santilli's, you know, notorious way, comes out, balls out, screaming, there's a Fed. Okay, what happens? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a very dangerous situation. We had been up there uh, protesting against the militia for about a week, Um and had been very, very effective because before we went up there, there was no one protesting them. So they had the mic all to themselves for about 10 days. And so after a week of us protesting, 
up there um, and getting the message out about what was really happening. Chile was getting increasingly frustrated and so first assaulted me on one day and then the next day told this whole crowd of armed militia people that uh, the guy who works with me uh, was an FBI agent and it was extremely inflammatory and dangerous um, and wrong, of course. Um, and interestingly, there were two Aaron, reporters down there. Yeah. Aaron, can you can you yes. please state the gentleman's name because it's on it's on YouTube for the listener. Can you state uh, his so name because our, the yeah, listeners yeah, are going to want to check it out themselves. Sure, sure. His name was Taylor McKinnon. Um, and and what was really particularly amazing is there were two reporters there at the time. One was from the Seattle Times, another was an NBC anchor woman, and they both said, "No, Pete, this is totally wrong." We know that FBI agent. We've seen him. We've interviewed him. And it is not Taylor McKinnon. And they're right there in the compound telling Pete this is not true. And he, of course, in his way, just steamrolls right through that, screaming at the audience uh, that he's an FBI agent. And we know from the last Bundy standoff in 2014, some of the Bundy followers spun off and assassinated two cops in Las Vegas. And so this is a really seriously dangerous situation, and, and Pete just did not care. He was really willing to put lives at risk in order to generate controversy, and that's what he is, is a controversy generation machine. Well, that, that's a, that, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of went there right now this quickly because I want to jump over, if you don't mind, Karen, I'd, I'd like to get uh, Mark Say's input on that sure. specifically. So let me give the audience a setup here. Right now, now I am an independent journalist, okay? I am a published journalist. I'm an independent journalist. Everything I do is out of my own pocket unless somebody donates. If you want to do that, by the way, everybody bitching about all these patriots asking for donations for snacks, Hey, I'd like to keep my, my, my show going. GoFundMe.com forward slash CTR News if you want to throw me a bone or two. I'd appreciate it. You won't hear me asking very often. Okay, but on that note, independent media. All right, independent media does rely on the listeners, and, and listeners will support you by sharing and talking you up. Oftentimes listeners will share stuff just because they, they get hot and bothered over whoever they think you are or want you to be, and they don't even pay attention to what you're saying or doing. All right? But we have Pete Santilli. Pete has been on my show. I have been on Pete's show. I've done work for Pete. I've known Pete for a long time. I have my own opinions on Pete. Pete and I very rarely agree about anything. But I think that the that America right now is missing two very, very important things that I think that Mark Zay can maybe address. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and he's going to school me here. But I think that because of what's happening, because we're talking about an armed occupation, an armed standoff that went beyond Ammon Bundy and the others getting arrested to this thing that's going on right now, okay, to this thing where these people are going to die because they're choosing to, all right? If they die, they're choosing to. And, and you know, Kieran, you've been there. You know how, like, crazy it is, all right? The other thing is activists, the Patriot Act and all that sort of stuff. What kind of laws could come out of this for uh, you know, our, our rights to peacefully assemble and demonstrate. Um, you know, what's going to change here because of this thing that has been happening? Mark. Okay, so let me come in at first and say I'm I'm still catching up on what's going on. So I only have bits and pieces of it. I'm literally reading things as as you're going through 
your your monologue and discussion here. Well, I can simplify it. I was going to say, I can simplify it for you. Here's the deal. The ACLU, uh, today and yesterday, they came out with a statement, a written statement of support I've got it in front okay, of me. Yep, so, I've got it in front of me. So let me let me raise this as more of a question, uh sort of for people to start thinking about rather than how this is going to play out. Because I see that even though the ACLU has issued a statement, and it's the local ACLU of Oregon, uh even though they've issued a statement supporting uh this conservative radio host, they haven't decided what they're going to do beyond that yet. And and the issue is uh, of him being on this in this unsealed indictment, charged with conspiring to impede federal officers from working at the refuge and using his show for a call to action to encourage more people to participate in this takeover, which, as you mentioned, is, it's illegal. I mean, you know, whatever you want to say about what these guys are doing, whether you believe in some of the basic foundations of the notion of federal expansion, of how how. Uh, how much ex- how extensive should the federal government be in this state versus that? What's going on right now is illegal uh, on in violation of federal law, not that what the federal government's doing to put a stop to it is illegal. You might challenge on how it's being done, perhaps. But so there is a fine line within the First Amendment, and, and we're getting to a dangerous point here as to when you're advocating someone to violate the law, versus discussing the topic of violating the law when you are obviously as everybody knows you know you can't yell fire in a crowded theater there are limits to the first amendment the question i would throw out to people as we start to discuss this issue of what's going on with pete santilli is would you feel the same if it was mohammed santilli instead of pete santilli and he was talking about encouraging people to commit jihad against the United States and to raise up in arms or participate in a call to action of Muslims against the federal government. And I, I say that as that, an issue because, because I'm really concerned that quite an – I bet you – I mean, I guess there's no percentage. Who knows what it would be? But I bet you a high percentage of people who are now supporting – Pete Santilli saying what the government's doing to him is wrong would not feel the same way if it was Mohammed Santilli saying it. And if they feel that way, then this whole the, the legal analysis, as far as I'm concerned, is thrown out the window because the First Amendment means nothing if it doesn't apply to everyone equally. I agree with that. Now, Kieran, you face off with Pete. You know, he accused your colleague of being FBI. Okay, so. I understand your uh, your your issue with him on that alone, but let's step outside of that. You have been battling with uh, the gentleman who wrote the piece for the ACLU Portland and mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter, and you have been specifically talking about how Pete Santilli had cut people, not just you, but people off from talking for media with his bullhorn so that they were overrode and couldn't be heard. Um, you know, there were other other different things. Now, before you answer that, let me just say this, because I think that a very calm, rational, considerate conversation is in order here, regardless of all of our feelings, because I, I think that there are plenty. We are three extremely different people talking right now. And But we have Mark Fade with the absolute law, 
stuff on our side. And I trust Mark Sade above all law people that I know, okay? This guy is going to tell us the truth whether he agrees with what I or you say. Now, that being said, we need to figure out, okay, how much that Pete Santilli did is acceptable First Amendment speech. What's protected speech? Mark can answer that in a second. But, Kieran, what you can answer here is from the level of being on the activist, because people have, like, tried to pull up your mug shot and say, oh, blah, 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 you've done the same thing. But it wasn't an armed occupation, and, we don't, and, I'll, and I'll post those links if you want, but we don't need to go deep into that. You are an activist as well, but you are also your own sort of journalist. So what's happening with Pete Santilli can affect you as well. So how do we manage this, Kieran? Well, the way I look at it, you know, Steve, you know, the ACLU, who, by the way, had nothing to say when everyone was getting their free speech rights crushed by the militia, Pete and right? <laughs> Not saying it, though. So, you know, their argument is, well, he was an embedded reporter and he's reporting and, and so he should not be pushed, he's just reporting. Um and that is just simply not true. And I'm gonna give you two examples. Um I and others were doing a press conference at the compact. We're standing in front of the microphone and the media are behind us. They're asking us questions. Classic press conference situation. Pete assaults me in the middle of the press conference to shut me up. Pete, every time we try to talk, blasts us with this noise out of the uh, megaphone to stop us from speaking. So I would suggest that no matter how broadly you define a, quote, reporter, a reporter cannot possibly be someone who prevents someone from talking to the press. That is simply not reporting. There's no possible way you can say well, Pete that's at like that Sheriff moment. Well, like Sheriff Palmer refusing to talk to the press. He's, he's a pub, paid public servant, a sheriff, who's been on the side of these people, these, these people that have committed crimes. So, yeah, I hear you. So real quick, yeah. Karen, Mark, and real quick, can you address this with the First Amendment? What is protected speech and what isn't? Can, he, can Pete Santilli, as a journalist, can I, can I, to help with Pete Santilli, Mark, can I, your friend, can I, as a, as a journalist and activist, can I go out there and pose as a journalist in a situation like this at the same time that I am calling people to join an armed standoff? All right, so there's, there's a lot of a lot of different issues here that are being conflated into one, and it's very common to confuse what exactly the First Amendment means. And you guys are raising both raising very legitimate questions, but I think applying some uh, in, inaccurate premises. So let's First Amendment for one thing. All right, when we talk we about have, First we Amendment have less violations. Than six minutes. Okay, when we talk about First Amendment violations, that's whether or not the government is infringing upon your First Amendment right, not whether a private citizen is. And so what I'm hearing, and again, I'm coming, I'm, I'm listening to what you guys are saying, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm literally analyzing it as I hear you guys and what I'm reading as I'm listening as well. Um, I, I hear lots of issues that are, seem legitimate about whether this individual is a legitimate journalist you know, he's a journalist of the 21st century and maybe not what we used to be, that he's impeding your ability for your own First Amendment rights. But, of course, that's not really infringing on your First Amendment rights. 
it sounds like it's acting inappropriately because he can't infringe on your First Amendment rights. As a journalist, right? right? Because he's not, he's not a government. He, he, he can interfere, and he could be, uh, I'll say, a schmuck, if I, can, I guess I could say that on this, you know, uh, but, but he's not doing anything illegal. The illegality of this as to what's going on is when he, whether or not what limitations the, the government puts on him or anyone else for advocating certain conduct of himself or others to participate in illegal activity. So you're raising absolutely legitimate issues, but, but they're, they're being uh, combined into too many different issues. Well, and if I, if, if I step in here, to me, the, the big issue... Yes, and, and, and Kieran, you I want you to step in because I'm going to let you close out, except for my final uh, message. So, Kieran, right. you're going to have... You're going to have two and a half minutes. I want you to address what you're going to say, and I also want you to fit in there that what has biologically happened at the refuge. Sure. Yeah, so really, you know, the key issue when, when Pete Santilli assaults me as I speak at the press conference, the key issue is not so much did he violate my freedom of speech. The key issue is he is absolutely not acting as a reporter at that moment. He is acting as an activist occupier. And so by doing that, that, he has to be treated as an activist occupier, not as media at that point. Media simply do not attack speakers at a press conference. You are, he has abandoned media. Secondly, when uh, the arrest happened and LaVoy Finicum was killed, Pete Santilli, live streaming, calls up to the compound, gets Blaine Cooper on the phone. He's broadcasting this and tells Blaine Cooper, Blaine, you must now seize command. The others have been arrested. And again, I would say at that moment, Pete Santilli is an occupier. He's one of the armed militia giving an order of who's in command. He is simply not a reporter. And so consequently, for the ACLU... Wait, 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 Kieran. Kieran, that is a fact. So the listeners know, and Mark Sade is up to speed, when Pete was being arrested, uh, right before he knew he was being arrested, he was on the phone with Blaine Cooper, who has not had any charges on him whatsoever, which is yep. something I'm going to continue to look into. Okay, Blaine Cooper, Pete Santilli told Blaine Cooper he was now in charge of the occupation exactly. at the refuge. That is not something a journalist does. Exactly. That's so what for an the ACLU to come in does. here is, 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 is ridiculous at, at this point. Um, and so um, and that's why I feel like it's perfectly fair to treat him as an occupier just like the Bundys. Um, and I want to end up on, on, on one note, going back to your introduction about these people who might die. And I want to say this. I met most of the I have people. About, I have about 90 seconds left, so you have to make okay. it quick, Kieran. Well, I want to say you're absolutely correct. Most of the people in that compound were not armed combatants. They were sucked into this by these so-called patriot people, and their lives have been put at risk. These are just lost souls, most of them. They are not inherently dangerous people, but the patriots have egged them on and put them in this dangerous situation, and it is a terrible, terrible shame. I don't want to see those people die, and those people have been sucked in by this horrible rhetoric and and pushed forward. You know what, Kieran? I I believe, Kieran, I believe that even if it was Pete Santilli still at the refuge, that you wouldn't want to see him die. On that note, thank you, Mark. 
I, I believe it, nor would I. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate you. I would love to come back and revisit this. And if you want to do a show a little in, in another half hour, I'll do it. But here's the deal. I need to wrap up the show. I have less than 30 seconds. Let me just say to everybody out at the refuge, I know you're not listening, but there are people that care because it's human lives. And there are lots of people mad at the government, including me. I've been in their face for almost 20 years, people, okay? I don't need to die for this cause. Neither do you. Um, I'll be back next Wednesday for sure at 6 p.m. here on Challenging the Rhetoric. If you would like to join uh, me on social media, you can find me. You can also go to the website. Very easy. Challengingtherhetoric.news. I'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.